Hey all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are trying to cope with the new romantic fantasy film, 3,000 Years of Longing, which is directed by George Miller, um, who calls this film his anti-Mad Max film, most famous for his Mad Max film. He's made anti-Mad Max films before, of course, most notably the gentle, humorous, and dark-edged fables, Babe and Babe, Pig in the City, I personally found delightful. Um, <laughs> he's working with, uh, on the, this film, 3,000 Years of Longing, he, he um, wrote the script with his daughter, Augusta Gore, and they, were, they adapted the film from um, a 1994 novella by A.S. Byatt, a very noted author. Um, it was the the novella is called "The Gin in the Nightingale's Eye," or you know, "Genie" is the word we we often use in America, anyway. Um, it's about a narratology professor named Alethea Binney. I actually think she's named Gillian. I just read that in the book, but in the mm. movie, she's Alethea Binney, played by Til- Tilda Swinton, um, and she's attending a conference in Istanbul. There, at the city's huge covered bazaar, she discovers a small glass bottle that she thinks might have a good story behind it. And after all, her whole life, it's about st- the study of stories and the way humans use them to make meaning in their world, um, of their world and their lives. So when she opens the bottle out, pours this gorgeous genie or gin, um, played by the dazzlingly attractive Idris Elba. And in order to be set free, the gin must grant Alethea three wishes that represent her heart's desires. The problem is Alethea, the, ration- the kind of cold rationalist, claims to be perfectly contented and, and, and indeed she seems initially at least, kind of self-satisfied, and she's saying she doesn't have any desire. So the djinn attempts to sort of persuade her, um, persuade this professor, in part through stories of his own great loves through the centuries, to discover what her desires are. Warning, as always, there are going to be spoilers galore here as we as we hash through this. So <laughs> let's jump into this. Just Dolores, just from previous conversations, I know you're an A.S. Byatt fan. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of this adaptation? Um, is it representative of her work? And what's your take on the film in general? Okay. Uh, well, I haven't, I have not read the novella, The Gin in the Nightingale's Eye. So I can't, I have nothing to compare it to. I don't know the original by it work. Mm-hmm. Overall, I did not like the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was very antsy, very bored. And I was kind of like, my mouth was agape. Like, is this happening? It yeah. seemed like such an old fashioned 50s like slow death of the studio system kind of film Mm -hmm. like some spectacular technicolor decadent epic that you would see as like a desperate attempt to get people back in theaters which is (laughs) what it is (laughs) um in this in this moment in 2022 um it was uh god i don't even know what to say they the characters had very little chemistry Mm. Um, there were moments where I thought some, some of the cinematography was beautiful. Some Mm -hmm. of the shots like soaring over the ocean, Mm -hmm. but in general, the C uh, CGI just really bothers me. I think it's hideous. The last Mm -hmm. shot, um, where the lovers walk off together looked like a video game for children, like Teletubbies (laughs) or something. I was just like, this is so unappealing. (laughs) Um, -hmm. so like aesthetically, I did not love it. Um, the story seemed like an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that, I actually was interested in it. It's very weird. At the end of the day, I've forgotten all the images, but mm-hmm. actually the story or the conceit kind of stays with me. 
Mm -hmm. So it's almost like for me, the spine of whatever, you know, the the basic hook mm. <laughs> is kind of compelling. Like, hey, mm. what if it, what if a genie visited you, mm. you know, like, <laughs> in contemporary life? Yeah. Um, but it, it to me, it was it's like detached from what I saw on screen. Mm. So I, I, it did definitely did not come together for me. Um uh, from what I remember, so I am a I am a very big A.S. Byatt fan. I haven't read all of her work, but I've probably read about ten of her books. Mm -hmm. And she does frequently have like an occult um, element to mm -hmm. her work. Um, but for me, what keeps her from drowning in in like what whatever happened to this film is somehow the end of this film made these characters it, it became very sentimental in a way that like swooshed over all of the problems and the mm. interesting things that were exposed by the idea of a genie mm. coming to someone in contemporary life um to me her books are never sentimental mm. and um what i the the parts of by it i could still see in here were the uh like the details and the overflowing of uh, stuff. She mm. does a lot of describing of like material objects. Mm. So when I saw them go to an antique store in Istanbul, uh, which is where Alethea, our professor protagonist, finds the bottle that the genie's in, I was like, oh yeah, that's so AS by it. She's going to like lovingly describe, you know, mm -hmm. all the shit in this store. <laughs> um, but for me, like, uh, for me, Byatt's like talent is descriptive and mm. her characters usually aren't even that likable. Um, and you just come to like them because they're vivid because she has described them so mm. carefully. Um, that never translates to Hollywood. Her, you know, one of her best books is Possession and it's a horrendous film mm. that take with Gwyneth Paltrow oh. that smushes and sentimentalizes everything flattens everything i mean they mm -hmm. really changed the story of possession to make it hollywoodized mm -hmm. and it's dumb and i don't know if that happened here but i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised because the end seemed really like saccharine to me mm -hmm. um but then again i don't know i have not read it and from what i've read the din in the the gin in the nightingale's eye comes from a book of contemporary fairy tales that she's written. Mm -hmm. But again, that's like very in line with her work, and she frequently manages to like meld the occult uh, and mm -hmm. like contemporary life without being sentimental. So. Mm -hmm. I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, right. <laughs> but that's just me. Mm. Uh, yeah. How, what did you think? Well, I have read none of her stuff, even though, you know, you have told me I would probably love it. My, my, uh, another friend Sue has, I've had, yeah, several people have recommended her. I know she's thought of very highly, but I always, I always have a need, a nervous knee jerk. <laughs> like, and typically she seems so high culture. And so I think I even tried to read <laughs> one once and was like, she's so writerly. That I'm just like huh. I'm fighting this, but maybe I need to, to. When you describe it, it sounds like I would love it, so I understand why she's recommended to me. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe I'll try. But I hated this so much; it uh, sounds like it isn't her <laughs> fault. Um, but I really it had it's I, I I wrote a review for Jack, but and I described it as a as a kind of leaden high culture whimsy that I just <laughs> it's it's so heavy, and yet and you're right, it's not huge chunks of it are so unmemorable. It's mm -hmm. incredible. I was trying to recall it. And I had a vague idea that they spent the like almost the entire movie, except the beginning and the end, in the hotel room together. Both of them, the, both the both the gin and the professor into white terry cloth, you know, hotel room, you know, yeah. robes. And I literally then had to go, Eileen. There's there's three enormously long flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one to do the story of the Queen of Sheba, you know, that he's he's in love with. Uh, one to do the story of Suleiman the Magnificent, uh, the Sultan, famous Sultan of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and in that case, he falls. Well, he sort of is is at least helping, trying to help 
a young pregnant, uh, a young, wait, she's a young concubine. Uh, you sort of get the love of her life and it all goes disastrously. And then the last one, it's a 19, kind of a 19th century tale. I think it's in Turkey, still in Istanbul, mm-hmm. um, of a young woman who's just desperate for knowledge. And she's like the third, forget, third wife um, uh, of an elderly man. And he right. winds up falling in love with her. And, you know, it's always like, it's always a disaster in each case. He always winds up imprisoned um, somehow for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here he goes again. So I literally forgot the flashback. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy because those are yeah. the opulent you're right those are the kind of old hollywood style and they're yep. very old arabian nights you know like as if you know orientalism is not a thing in this world it's just like yep that's what those fairy tales were like so right. that's how we're going to do them but they're just somehow not memorable and it really makes for an inert experience somehow yes Especially yes. because you're right. I didn't even, I don't even forgot why I didn't even talk about this in my review. It's true that Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton, both actors I absolutely love. I think they're both great. Yeah. And I think he's just devastating. I think everyone thinks he is. Yes. Uh, maybe it's, it seems to me it should be universal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and he's being very adorable and everything else and broodingly handsome as he always is. But it's, it's really like nothing seems to quite ignite. Even mm-hmm. when you see it, it's supposed to. You, you kind of have to just give it the benefit of the doubt and go, okay. So it just has a horrifying feeling of like nothing happening for a long time. Yes. It's like it's like some weird fantasy version of good luck to you, Leo Grand. Like, <laughs> yes, it's a great comparison, which I also hated. Oh my god. Right. Didn't we just see this film? <laughs> yes, yes. It's of course hotel room, you yep. know, endless negotiations leading up to sexual encounter, blah, blah, yep. blah. It yep. turns into kind of great affection, blah. Uptight older women, oh, magical yes. negro, negro sex worker oh, character. Oh, the magic. You're so right. Magical. Yeah. It, this movie is the magical negro of story of all time. I, 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 it was jaw dropping. I, was I just like, could not believe. I, I can't believe I'm watching this and that the everyone agreed to do this. Uh, I, what year is it? I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, this is a guy who's, it's, <laughs> this is a black man who's always in bondage and always emotionally enslaved as much as anything. And so he's always, he's always perfectly willing to stay in bondage and you just can't believe you're watching it. <laughs> you know, I mean, in the end to the whitest white professor in the entire world who he, he doesn't even seem to like for a long time. Thank you. He doesn't seem to like her at all. And there's nothing to like about her. She's kind of, she's smug. She's cold. She's literally someone who doesn't have any wishes or does that it express her real desires. She doesn't have any desires. Who could like a person who doesn't have desires? <laughs> well, see, <laughs> this might be where we disagree. Like, I, I thought that there was actually a lot to her. Like, I thought the she uh, so in the film, she's it's revealed that she had kind of an imaginary friend, a, a young boy who visited her like in her mind, in her youth named Enzo, who she wrote about endlessly. And then um, when she uh, came when she grew up and came into contact with what was supposed to be her rational adult mm. self, she burned the book. And to me, that made her likable, like someone who had some depth. But I completely agree that at no point do we see why this jinn should fall in love with her. It's yeah. she has enslaved him. She wish she makes a wish that they fall in love, right. and so he's forced to love her. She takes him back to London, and in at the end, inexplicably. So he um, he he's he's not doing well in London. A modern life, it's suggested, is 
um, like messing with his gin senses because mm-hmm. there's so many like electro, you know, yeah. um, you know, electromagnetic field manipulations, <laughs> satellites, mm-hmm. etc. In the modern world, so he's he's like falling apart. He's mm-hmm. losing his power, and he's literally disintegrating in front of her eyes. So she wishes him away to some place that makes him, you know, feel better and whole. And he goes away, and he willingly comes back. Yeah. And it's so confusing because you never see him fall in love with her on his own terms Mm -hmm. so like what the hell like if this is supposed to be a love story that we're supposed to be moved by why should he fall in love with her we never see that and i thought they were trying to kind of elide it they were trying to suggest he he, he'd always sort of been half in love because he's such a he's the it's there's this binary thing where she's supposed to be the the hyper rationalist the modern rationalist and he's the the kind of he's all emotion all desire all romanticism so he's yeah. always falling in love disastrously and de- or dedicating himself disastrously. So when yeah. he says to her, are you even alive at an early point that seems to be very much about his dislike for her, <laughs> is that she, how can you have, you, you want, you want nothing. Um, mm-hmm. In his terms, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, especially well, it makes all the sense in the world to me too. But I mean, in his terms, especially his whole life is lived in, in a kind of, in, in, in a, in a world of, of longing. That's yes. the 3,000 years of logging. Um, so, yeah, but so you're right. It, it, but it, since it never, it, you never feel the intensity between them. And it's, there aren't moments given to, yes, now, now it's not just that he's compelled to love her. He, is, he does love her. And you see that in romantic fantasies where it's sort of like in, oh, I don't know, uh, Bell Book and Candle, when it's mm-hmm. a witch who has cast a spell over a man and later he has to ponder, like, you know, and of course he falls in love again and it isn't a spell. <laughs> That is like what? What? Who's to say what love is? Is it? Is it a kind of magic? Is it a kind of spell anyway? Is that kind of thing where it's a little, a little unclear whether he always really did love her, or it was partly the spell, partly, or he grew to love her? You don't know. Yeah. So that wouldn't bother me as much, but just that there's nothing between them. Yeah. <laughs> and when he comes back, you just feel. I just felt bad. I just felt bad about the whole thing. Like this just seems all wrong. Like he has to come back, and he's dressed in a hoodie. It's yeah, sort of, it's sort of between the you know the kind of urban you know associated with black youth, the Trayvon Martin thing. They start they start dealing with race in contemporary terms when barely, he comes to right? London, but barely in this kind of yeah. crude way that that again I felt sort of jaw dropped about it because it was like really you're going to take this on, but you're going to take it on in the simpiest way. Yeah. Why did you do this? So all of Ugh. a sudden, yeah, they give him this hoodie <laughs> and he's just being, you know, there's, there's racist, xenophobic neighbors, little old ladies, and they, and they're, you know, saying horrible things. And, and so you, suddenly they're, they're just throwing that into the mix at the end, but with no, no real thought. It's just tossed in there. Yeah, they're just bigoted neighbors, and yeah. she tells them off, and then she brings them some delicious Middle Eastern food or something. Some... That, that the gin had given her initially. It's supposed yep. to be this ultimate in deliciousness from another culture. <laughs> and, and this apparently persuades them. And, and what does she say? And he'll he be shows up. Yeah. He'll be staying with me. Yeah. It, it, it feels like it's like a Disney film from the early 60s. Yeah. I was like, was this in Mary Poppins? Like, I... <laughs> Yes, it's very much like it is so old fashioned. It even has for me, it was like, wow, this is like a Joan Crawford movie where, you know, she's the hard driving career woman who secretly longs for love. And it's just but it's just going to have to be pulled out of her because she she can't admit she's in total denial that she has desire. So that's Mm -hmm. so much of this narrative is waiting for this woman to finally admit. And of course, you're right. We we have a privileged backstory here. 
that we know that he does that she she has had desires and had longings for companionship and sort of over time through a sense of her own oddity parted with it you know gave it up and then and then turned everything toward being a professor being a scholar etc yes um so we so we know this but it's also just knowing that you immediately slip into that oh this is the old career <laughs> movie they used to do in the late 50s in the 50s and 60s early 60s yeah oh my god they made millions of them but it's so, shocking uh, it's uh, yeah it's oh my god i mean with the stakes of you know like of race relations in this yes. moment i was i had no idea what to no i do know what to make of it it was uh, paltry and not enough and a really awful handling of race oh, absolutely and just mortifying and to, and to read the reviews that many of which are glowing it doesn't you know it got mixed yeah but the glowing ones don't mention it and even the critical right? ones don't <laughs> The ones that don't like it are not mentioning it. And I'm like, really? I think maybe someone does one glancing reference, but doesn't even, it's like in one sentence. Yeah, they like someone did say magical Negro. Yeah, which someone, is someone says, yeah, but in a kind of, I forget how they put it, but in a way that it didn't go on to then discuss <laughs> what you're looking at. This is mind-boggling. Yeah. And so it's, that's very odd too. Like, really? This is writ large in this movie. There's just no way to not see <laughs> that no, this it's... is playing out in front of your eyes. Yeah. So that's yeah, it, it was shocking. And it, for like, I, then I thought they were going to go like Ali Fear Eats the Soul. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good movie. I, mm. <laughs> like, let's do that. Where the neighbors are like hemming them in. Right. And maybe they start. Have to, oh, yeah. And then they start turning on each other. You're right. Ali Fear Eats the Soul does such a great job of that. Because for yeah. a while there, it's ruining their relationship with each other. And then they have to find a way, you hope, back to each other again. But you right. don't know where they're going to be able to be. Really don't worry. in the world. Yeah. They didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that. No. <laughs> yeah, don't think any of that happened. <laughs> really so, a whole lot of nothing happened. And the flashbacks are really not interesting. They just are painfully uninteresting. I mean, the the young woman who's playing the Queen of Sheba is staggeringly beautiful. Her name is uh, Amito Lagoom. Oh my mm-hmm. God. She's, she really is stunning. And yeah, she's, she's supposed gorgeous. to be the most beautiful woman in the world. And stuff. So there are these, these, these little moments where you'd be like, oh, <laughs> that's yeah. something to, to mentally note. But I mean, they just have no impact on you whatsoever. And it's supposed to be the Jin's persuasive way of using story, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be what this whole movie is, you know, a song and dance about, to presumably persuade Alethea, who you keep returning to, to them in the hotel, and she's still just rejecting the idea that she has wishes or gold. Or then she makes joke wishes, which are like, okay, I wish I could have another sip of coffee. And then she has one. So she does three fake wishes, which of course are pointless. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's that kind of thing. And then it just, none of it works. And it's tanking so hard. It's like you caught among the last screenings. We we literally didn't have even time to do an episode before it's leaving theaters. I think it costs 60 million to make, which isn't high now. It's at the middling budget, but it's still a lot of money. Yeah. And it's made 9 million last I checked. I think now it's up to 12, oh, it's 12, up to 12. point okay. something. So yeah. it's considered one of the biggest <laughs> it's box office. made a fifth of its money. Right. <laughs> Bombs of 2022. It's, it's, it's noted as being done. And you can see why. There's just no, there's no, there's no, nothing to grip you emotionally. About the movie. No, I kept asking like, why now? <laughs> like, why would you make this film? Why did George Miller think like, yep, this is the story this we the need. This is the one for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it, 
I, in a way, like I, I, I think it's not that romance can't work as a contemporary genre. I actually think it should come back mm-hmm. as a genre because we are in such a, a culture obsessed with like hypermodulation and control mm-hmm. and thinking of people as consumer goods. Mm-hmm. Swipe left, swipe right. Mm-hmm. You know, advertise yourself as a product. Mm-hmm. And love is the such a crazy, irrational, uncontrollable force. Mm-hmm. And it is like the boundary messer upper. You cannot, cannot put it in a box. It mm-hmm. is, you know, totally, no matter what, no matter how many times people try to like quantify it and control it, it's always going to fuck people up. It always mm-hmm. has since the dawn of time. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Yes. Because it throws in our whole, like many assumptions mm-hmm. about, like encountering other people what what's the good of encountering other people mm-hmm. um i'm in a class right now i'm teaching a class on slow cinema long story but we talk a lot about like contemporary um you know consuming consuming the other online mm-hmm. um and it's there's like a whole broader uh, way of looking at love in particular mm-hmm. among gen z as um and not only an item on a checklist, but like something on which one would not waste one's time mm-hmm. unless like one were going to achieve the end goal, which is marriage, mm-hmm. you know, maybe for the sake of reproduction. So people um, literally express out loud like, I, you know, I just wouldn't bother having a relationship unless it was going to lead to this, you know, this permanent socially um fixed thing uh like marriage which mm-hmm. i'm supposed to do um like i'm supposed to get a degree and a good job um mm-hmm. and that blows my mind and it seems like yeah. mad yeah. <laughs> um no. and so like i love the love story because like you know i love the love that upsets a hyper rational mind but for me it's like uh, i didn't see this character as hyper rational in particular um she's, it's just it's how a- she's being pitched yeah it's a kind of you know and she's got some of the ear she's got some of the characteristics always associated with hyper rush um you know, she, she keeps taking her scholarly knowledge though it's really it's so, such simpy scholarly knowledge that you're just like really anyone would knows this about story but that's often the way in movies yeah um and she keeps trying to apply it to what's happening so this is why she can accept there's a genie in the room and whatever it's partly why because she can immediately begin to analyze like okay this is what happens in these kinds of stories so there's a whole section where she doesn't want to make a wish because in in these you've got three wishes stories it never works well yeah for the person doing the wishing it just never does and you know she's positing that he might be a trick it might be a trickster story and he's a trickster figure and he believe me he isn't it would be so much more interesting <laughs> if he were sadly he's not um but anyway she keeps kind of kind of applying the knowledge you know kind of thing so she's got that she's got the kind of you know cool self-contained reserve you know, she just has a lot of the characteristics. So yeah, it's being thrown out as, yeah, this is all about the rational versus the emotional kind of thing. And they, they, they stand there representing their positions kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, but it, yeah. It, it, anyway, so the conceit, like, okay, maybe based on that, that, mm-hmm. that can resonate today, but it sure didn't. <laughs> no. Well, and it's, it's interesting. You're talking about the, you know, the, the love story. If we add like a more, the more specific genre or subgenre, mm-hmm. the, the romantic fantasy, what I love, what I have tended to love about romantic fantasies I admit in the far past, my essay is all about the, the 1940s ones that I love yeah. is that the fantasy element seems like it's about bringing the mess. It's about emphasizing the blurring of the, mm. of the boundaries and the uncontainability. So there's almost always these romances are almost always impossible. Even if they find some crazy way to be together, it's going to be extreme. So my example was, you know, 
ghost and Mrs. Muir. Yeah. So he's a ghost. She, she's a living woman living in his house. He haunts the house. And even at a certain point in that arrangement, which is mostly delightful to them, he realizes he has to just leave even that so she can have a real life with, you know, real people. Um, right. And so they can't be united until he, she dies, too. That's the only way to get together. So some of them, of course, are more comical or lighter than that, certainly. But there's a lot of darkness in these in, in the forties ones anyway, because they seem to be emphasizing these, these are kind of ways of showing impossible love and mm-hmm. it becomes, it becomes more poignant and more emotionally, you know, riveting because it's often such an impossible situation that crosses over the boundaries of the natural to the supernatural. So that's one right. of the ways I, things I like about it. It seems to take that element of kind of madness and impossibility of love, the craziness of love, and you know find a way to treat it in a way that it is in itself kind of crazy and messy and impossible um yeah and you know i I, we've talked about this separately it it doesn't seem like this is an era for it if you if you look at Mm -hmm. the best of lists which i did i just checked out several and you know the recurring films tend to be 80s 90s films um ghost is one princess bride is considered one um a little fateful baby but um uh i'm trying to think of the other oh even uh uh blah 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 Groundhog Day is considered. Yeah. So that you tend to see the same names getting mentioned over and over, and they're kind of older films now. There's not a lot that's new that are considered the great, the great romantic fantasies. And so it does seem like we kind of don't do that, or if we do it, we don't do it well. Yeah, it's <laughs> we definitely don't do it well. We don't do it well. I, <laughs> I, yeah, it's interesting for a, I mean, because... Uh, you know, obviously, like Marvel movies and mm-hmm. superhero fantasies do offer a lot of this element, mm-hmm. like definitely the blurring of of boundaries. And you would think there'd be a lot of ripe potential. It's just not an era that does romance well. It really doesn't. You're, I think you're right. Probably even the yeah, just saying the larger category is enough. Probably we don't. Yeah, we really don't. And you're right. Yeah. It does seem like isn't that ripe for like doing it? It just seems like. There's, there are ways. It's not like there aren't like, I mean, there are examples that are bad, but they're bad, right? Yeah. They've got to be. They've got to be making them. I, yeah, they've got to be making them. I've been thinking about this so much because there's been like a rash of really crappy straight people dramas on TV. Mm-hmm. Like um, there was that Netflix series or was it Hulu? Normal People. Oh, right. I didn't watch it, but I know the one. Yeah. Me neither. And then yeah. there's like this new one. That's the same. And uh, there's the Netflix You. And I was just like, wow, like the straight people dramas are really horrendous these days. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, I mean, really, same with the gay people dramas, unless mm. you set them in the past. <laughs> mm. or that be, And it's just because, I mean, in general, I think about this all the time, like a love story needs like a taboo or some prohibition mm-hmm. for it to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why the fantasy genre can work. You know, you got an interspecies romance. Yes, exactly. There's, no, it's not yeah. so much a tab- there's, yeah, there's definitely a prohibition. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, post-sexual revolution, we don't have any of those left. So I mm-hmm. think where the genre thrives and i'm not particularly a fan of these but like people are is like the young adult romance and that Mm. makes sense when you're a kid you can't Mm. just do anything you want Mm. um and obviously a lot of loves great love stories of the past like 30 or 40 years are historical they've Mm. been put in the past so you've got those like inbuilt prohibitions of the you know past yeah period romance dramas they're everywhere from you know endless Jane Austen's again most of them are terrible (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
But they do the you know the Bridgerton phenomena. Talk about that. yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> just awful. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just again we're back to the yeah, but they don't do they don't especially I, I would say even beyond just well they don't mm-hmm. do them memorably. Like yeah, like they don't stick with you. They don't have any kind of power over you. Like you, again, they're like consumables. You watch them and then it's like all right, that happened. Yeah, you've forgotten it. It's yeah. true. Un- unless you're Carol 2015, directed by Todd Haynes. But that's another episode. <laughs> that's another story. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, like, one thing I dislike about the, uh, maybe just fantasy in general, um, mm-hmm. for me, and for me, like, fantasy love stories are kind of hard, too, is because mm-hmm. fantasy has so much plot. Right. <laughs> like, you have to establish the world and the rules of the world. Uh-huh. And, you know, obviously, like, the djinn telling his tales, this is very A Thousand One Nights. There's mm-hmm. a lot of storytelling. I like fairy tales. I like A Thousand and One Nights. Mm-hmm. There's something about the contemporary like flashback thing, which is like so, well, I don't know. It's not just contemporary. Mm-hmm. There's something about movies today where it's just like too much damn plot. Like why oh, I am agree. I? Oh, dear God. God. I, like, I, 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 just, I just wrote about Pinocchio, the terrible. <gasps> you um, saw Pinocchio? I reviewed it. The terrible live action one with Tom Hanks. And, you know, they're just... Re- My girl just- Lorraine? How is Lorraine? She's, even, <laughs> she's the character of a seagull that's just made up for no good reason whatsoever that has her really... By now, super gravelly voice, or either that or she put it on. But holy crap, it's so terrible. And it's so full of explanation. Like half my review for Jaguar on it is like, <sighs> everything has to be explained. And the more you explain this crazy fairy tale, and it's a crazy yeah. fairy tale, the crazier it gets, the weirder and more bizarre, and the more you just are like, you. I hate this whole thing. So <laughs> it, they, and uh, it's amazing. They literally spend all this time explaining why he got his name. It's because he's made of pine. Pine. Pinocchio. See? Pinocchio. <laughs> Pinocchio. And this goes on and on, and I'm like, what are you doing? Has anyone ever wondered why? Do we need to know why Geppetto's called Geppetto? I mean, what the hell? This is so there, crazy. Exactly. There's so much explanation and, and plot and make sure it's really movie making for dummies like everyone's got to have everything explained it's not interesting like it isn't necessary or interesting oh my god it's the worst Whoa. i just my my soul like i just cringe and die and i i refuse i'm like <laughs> i'm not gonna follow all this if it's a good story i just want to spend time with characters who are interesting and like a setting that's giving me a place where i don't actually live <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. I don't know. I think yeah, it should I, happen, but that's what that's what a story is. That's what a plot is. It's just that by now we've made so much of plot that you yeah. can't see anything but the plot. That's the that's the binge watching phenomena, right? Yes. Is people just they just have to have more and more plot because it's just like got to be a cliffhanger constantly bringing you back. It's just got to be blah 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 to the point, and people love it. I mean, I've already complained about this in another, in other episodes. Of just like I know, me too. Me having too. people recite endless amounts of plot to you as a way of conveying how great it is. And it's so much plot that I'm just, you're cross-eyed listening to it. And then you're going, why does that make it interesting? I know. <laughs> There's nothing about that that's interesting. Oh no, God. it's so hard. I, yeah, I hate it. So, and this has that element, which is strange because like, you know, the Jin recounting his past loves is not that, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like a normal old fashioned storytelling structure in a lot of ways, but for some reason it feels like labored. It's like, oh, this is so much shit to remember. And mm-hmm. of course you don't care about them. He spends like 25 minutes talking about this sultan 
who mm. like sensed uh, he needs to. Okay, the genie's in a bottle at this point in history. Mm. All right, <laughs> so mm. like um, this this sultan was born with a little gin in his bloodline, so he's got mm. some sensitivities. And this kid grows up, uh, and so he the genie thinks he can attract this child mm. sultan to the tile under which his bottle is lying at mm-hmm. this point in history. And you spend like 25 minutes with this sultan who turns out to be bloodthirsty and then, you know, drinks himself to death and he never finds the damn bottle. There's just kind of horrible, horrible slapstick comedy way, oh, with the, oh. which is appalling. Um, there's a series of very, how do I even say, um, very full-bodied uh it's a harem uh, uh mm-hmm. of the brother to the to the to the sultan um um yeah and she lands somehow there's a whole slapsticky cgi thing and she lands on the tile and dislodges it and, and you're like but exactly you know until you said this i had forgotten that whole earlier plot line because you're you. waiting and waiting for the kid for the kid to grow up and then he, he he's he goes off to fight all these wars and he comes back completely damaged but of course you're thinking there's going to be a way he finds his way back and re- kind of remembers his earlier self and finds the bottle like why else do all that build up right it didn't make any sense like why it, are we suddenly shifting over to this uh, i don't know it made no <laughs> sense and there was a so the way that you know after you go through that whole 25 minute thing with yeah. this sultan who never finds a damn bottle yeah. yeah he's got a brother with a harem, with a harem. and of mm-hmm. of large women mm-hmm. and there's a totally you know just like a big old fat phobic mm-hmm. like like you said slapstick marx brothers cheap shot number where this big woman you know unearths the mm-hmm. uh bottle because she's so large that the tile you know she unearths the tiles when she falls out of the bath or something you yeah. know it's just like this is the cheapest yeah. most old-fashioned shitty punchline yeah. <laughs> like it's and, ba- and baffling and and even on top of that as if it's as kind of horrible as it was somehow unmemorable <laughs> that's what i keep coming back to yeah. how come i don't remember any of this partly i think it's the look which is also getting a lot of praise john seal is the cinematographer he did English Ugh. patient. Maybe that's part of the problem. It looks like um, garbage. You know, it's I, to me, it was like there were attempts to be being pretty and opulent given the subject matter. But you're right. Like you were describing that the the weird look of the final. I remember the end the best because it has these weird clear sky blue and green <laughs> of parkland and Tilda Swinton's red hair and it and it does have a kind of children's crayon <laughs> effect because it's such yeah. you know intense. Not sort of near, not primary, secondary colors, but they're so intense against each other that it looks like some sort of kid's drawing. And I, I, I was, I remember that the most, but I don't. But remembering it, I'm like, but why does it look like that? Why would it yeah. look like that in the end when she's just trying to get through her life without the gin, and then mm. he, he, she sees him walking across the park? Is it that everything becomes radically simple and elemental now that she's that she believes in love and has this love who's going to come and see her, and she says that's enough as long as he can. He'll always come back, he says, as long as she lives. She can count on him coming back. Mm-hmm. But, but even though he'll be gone for long periods of time. So mm-hmm. I still, I couldn't make sense of, like, I remembered it just because of the kind of the crudity of the color scheme that's so bright <laughs> and right. glow. But I, I, I have no idea why. And the opulent look of the earlier scenes, maybe it's because CGI is just such an awful look because they've settled on this uniformly boring CGI look. I don't get it. Oh, it's horrendous. It looks like Teletubbies. I hate it. I yeah. hate it. Yeah, Definitely. I just, 
I oh I I don't know what the options are. I mean, I'm not like a CGI guru, but <laughs> it just like, seems sh- like the whole point of CGI was there was nothing you could imagine that you couldn't visualize because it's computer generated imagery, and yes. they've gotten really good. And like if you see certain films that are really good, they can imitate anything, <laughs> any yeah. filmic style, any animation style, any any style. It's like limitless. And occasionally you'd see a beautiful CGI film, very rare. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of, oh, uh, Rango. I'm a huge Rango fan, not only because it's hilarious <laughs> and has wonderful things in it, but there's scenes that are so beautiful that they remind you. And it's detailed, like sand trickling down or they're the nature things and reflections in glass that are so striking that you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We could have done anything. <laughs> yeah. We could have absolutely done anything. And instead, it's like there are sort of three minor variations on looks and that's it. Right. And everyone does them. Yeah, it's so disappointing. It's so mind-numbing, and yeah. it's totally forgettable. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you'll definitely forget this if you make <laughs> it through. It was only, what, an hour and 48 minutes, and, and it, I was just like, when are you done? Exactly. <laughs> this seems interminable, and you just keep thinking he's going to tell another story, and they're still in this hotel. <laughs> and you're like, really? Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, this has got to be a thorough trashing. It just, it's just a baffling film. I, I can't understand the amount of, good review i really and i read them uh, several of them trying to sort of get my head around it and they just all take at face value the pedigree and the what they assume are the high level intentions of the film isn't this refreshing that there's this film and i'm like is why is it it's just all it's just all announcement statements of we don't we all agree that this is marvelous and these are such of course respected actors and it's george miller and all of it's as by it and this must be wonderful, surely, because it isn't something we see every day. And it's just like, well, there's lots of things we don't see every day. It doesn't mean we need to see them. Like, you're right. You're so right. This is really, uh, if you're ever going to make this film, why, why now? What is the point of making this? It's such a strange thing to even try to fathom why. And I did try to find interviews, and it was very vague, the thing yeah. I found of him talking about it. So it wasn't like there was anything. Obviously, he wanted to do something that wasn't his usual thing. He seems drawn okay. to, like, the fable-like, fairy tale like Mm-hmm. Okay, but this, why this? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It really. is moldy as hell. I just, <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> yeah, and this is for people you know who really respond to this kind of film and who are who wish there would be. Well, you don't like the fantasy part of it so much, but I do. And it's especially strange to be sitting there just going, "This is the most unmoving film." And I just love Idris Elba, and I just fear for his career. He. He got he did another film called Beast, the one about the giant lion. Yeah, have you uh, seen sorry, that? I haven't, but I, I was meant to check if that. I, I think I, but I read something saying okay, he, that one did terribly too. So now there's he's got two in a row where he's the star and they did terribly. And that's not good. And I'm just like, yeah, why is he not a huge leading man? He's so good. I he's know, so handsome. And these projects that he's being offered, I mean, Beast too. Speaking of just like, just like the racial oh, I, I implications know. of these. Roles, you yes. know, it's back it's to Africa on safari to fight a giant lion and blah blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know, I know. I oh. don't blame him. I can only imagine what he's offered, you yeah. know. But it's and it's like hard out there. Like he, you know, he just wants to make films. But Jesus, I know. Um, Given the, how gifted write- he is, he's so gifted. He's such an experienced, well-trained actor, and he's so handsome and gorgeous and attractive. <laughs> really, yeah. this should just be a million great roles, and it isn't happening. 
Yeah. And and it tells us what in here, too. I like her. I'm not as like over the moon about Mm -hmm. her as maybe it's just oversaturation. I think that's it. Yeah. She's in so many things now and she's always praised so highly. And after a while, I even I for this film and I'm, I'm a big fan. But I but, you know, I was a huge fan of hers a million years ago when she was yeah. first struggling to come out of just like, you know, little indie parts and character parts. Even I'm a little sick of that pale little Scottish face <laughs> with the red hair. You know, I mean, <laughs> kind of like, you know, I just feel like I trip over her now everywhere I go. And it's all this obligatory praise for every move she makes. Yeah. Yeah, she be you know she's art film Meryl Streep, not because she's much better than Meryl Streep, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but just because of the ubiquity, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it I don't know, I just yeah, uh, she just didn't do it. They didn't have chemistry, which is so weird because they're both you know they're fabulous, mm-hmm. sexy beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he okay, let's what's up with his makeup? Did they make his eyes larger and droopier somehow? Yeah, it's like they might have because his eyes definitely look big. Obviously, they did his ears. His ears are like the tipped ears. And, you know, they've done other things to make him more genie like. But he did look a little not quite like himself to me. And I yeah. also wondered, have they CGI'd him a little bit? I, I believe they did. They, his eyes were like really big and like almost downturned mm-hmm. at the corners. Uh, like he was like one of those weird, sad puppy dog like anime things. Mm. Um, so that was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a bad choice, but it, you know, I don't know. Um, that, it that, made them. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause I definitely noticed, kept noticing, oh, wow, they're really playing up this. Pu- I even thought of it as puppy eyed devotion. Yes. It's supposed to be looking at her with puppy eyed devotion here, but I hadn't thought maybe they made him his eyes bigger and sadder. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, there was, there was one thing that, uh, it was really interesting. I was cruising the internet to mm-hmm. read up on, uh, the novella, the, the gin in the nightingale's eye by A.S. Byatt. And it was really interesting. Uh, there's a sex scene in that novella, mm-hmm. uh, between the, um, professor and the gin mm-hmm. in the hotel room when she first wishes that they become, you know, lovers and mm-hmm. uh, remain in love. Um, and that got a lot of praise from critics. Mm-hmm. And there is the absence of a sex scene Absolutely. in this film, which is such an interesting choice. Like, I do not know why they did that. Um, this whole thing is supposed to be a romance. And mm-hmm. if we're, maybe if we're supposed to understand why the djinn comes back, maybe like we could communicate that he's into it <laughs> or something, mm-hmm. you know, through this through this sex scene. But it does not exist. It does not exist. And it's very strange because they're trying to keep the fantastical. So, you know, he's, he starts off so enormous he doesn't fit in the hotel room. He literally like one foot. It's like the in the uh, yeah, in the, is the size of the room practically, and then yeah. he's gradually getting till by the end he's he's his regular size, but but at the time of the sex scene, it's this ambiguous. He seems quite big, like so. The only shot you get is this oddly ultra stylized uh, sort of semi nude scene of her sitting in front of him, and he's much bigger and enfolding yeah. her, and it's sort of look. There was a there was a book. It was it was given a lot of praise and I'm forgetting the name of it. And it was about, you know, the a kind of a kind of, you know, ape woman love that had a, yeah. a, a, a an illustration on the cover that looked like that. It was a kind of fantastical thing. No. Yes, that that was the first thing I thought. I wish I could I meant to look it up and now I forgot. Um <gasps> and I meant to look it up. It was a, it, it got a lot of press, got a lot of praise, and it was a number of years ago. And oh. I suddenly thought, were they redoing that that very stylized <laughs> Um, book cover because it has it doesn't look like anything else in the movie 
It's, it's very posed. She's looking forward to the camera. You know, it's all very, um, what? It's all very soft and ethereal looking and, 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 and blurred. And he's this much bigger than her and folding figure. And she's, she's saying something contemplative, I think, <gasps> in the voiceover narration to the camera. But it's, it, the only thing that stands out about it is it's nothing like the rest of the film. And you're right. All that buildup, you know, and then yeah. there's no sex scene or even just a love scene leading that would have led up to a sex scene and that we, we well, see right. some of. It just all kind of goes away. Yeah. Maybe sex scene's too literal. They don't even kiss. Maybe they do. Okay. They do kind of they, kiss. They do kiss. But it's very, yeah. It's, For it's, a film that hinges on their love. On their love. <laughs> Yeah, that he's, and that he's going to be willing in the end because he always comes back and stays too long, as she says. So in other words, he's going to keep coming back and risking his life because he yeah. could die from the effects of modern civilization. Right. Um, it's, and you're supposed to you know, find that like, isn't that wonderful? And you're clearly supposed to be thrilled when she first sees him walking across in that damn hoodie, walking across <laughs> the grass of the park toward her. And she realizes it's him after a long absence. So you really be into that. And it's a scene where I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm supposed to be really, this is supposed to be where the, the, the heartthrob moment, the thrill. And right. And it's just nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Absolutely, absolutely nothing. So, yeah, there's so many things that just, they don't do, they do absolutely nothing with that. Yeah. Even but, when he's, the whole handling of him die, she finds him and he's yes! dying. It's a very Beauty and the Beast scene where, mm -hmm. if you remember, you know, Beauty finds the Beast. She, she comes back very late, later than what she promised. And she finds the Beast is dying of a broken heart. And it's ter terribly moving, of course. And uh, it's supposed to be like that. She finds him sort of in the cellar. She looks all over the house. She comes home for work. He isn't there. And she finds him. And, and it's just out of nowhere. He's down there dying and his skin is turning to ash and everything. And, and it's just so out of nowhere that you're like, wait, what? Exactly. They didn't develop it at all. There's One no minute he's <laughs> sightseeing, looking yes. at the satellites. The next minute he's crumbling he's, in the basement. He's crumbling in the basement. And you're like, it's so out of left field. You're like, no, no, you have to build that in a little bit. Because <laughs> he made it sound like before. Yes, it's, it's annoying. I can hear all the conversations coming from all the cell phone towers in the whole city at the same time. But I'll learn yeah. to adapt. That's all you ever get of like how harsh this is going to be on him at the very exactly. beginning when they get to learn it. Never another little tiny word of warning. Those are the things you plant in a script, by the way, early, right? early. Yeah. So that it, was really weird. There's so much non-development of their entire relationship almost at every point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they like also, I think there was supposed to be some critique in there mm -hmm. that the penultimate moment of their mm -hmm. like togetherness is um, when they're having a conversation about the modern world yeah. and humans and like how I don't know humans don't need gods anymore because they're cracking all the codes uh of the universe but maybe they won't last long mm. it was all a big smush and it oh, didn't yeah. come back at the end mm, <laughs> like that's right yeah i i was like are we I, and i i truly didn't know what the film thought about this like are the gods dead or not mm -hmm. and and it seemed like okay perhaps um the crumbling of the gin in the basement was an answer that like the gods are dying mm -hmm. but the film seems to also insist like no they're here mm -hmm. you know they're they're all they're all around um, mm -hmm. And you do need them. Uh, what's her face? Alethea needed them. Mm -hmm. She conjured Enzo as a child when she needed him. Right. Oh, um, and, then, and oh, we forgot to mention because it's, again, it's just thrown in there. Yeah. <laughs> she sees like demon figures and stuff. You yes. Know? And she says, "Oh, yes, this is something." So she she winds up passing out in the middle of her talk, basically. And then yes. they're, they're saying, "What happened to you?" As they take take her off stage and everything, and she says, "Oh, yes, I I, I have these hallucinations." 
and you're like okay so is she in like communication with with supernatural beings all along and i I didn't know what to make of that like why why was that tossed in there i thought that was kind of interesting it's like it cast doubt on uh the you know reality or unreality Mm. of what's happening um but like ultimately it doesn't matter you know it's kind of like the gods come for you that's what i thought like regardless of whether or not you think you need them yeah and i thought that were that yeah it would have made more sense to me if she was seeing them in advance of the of finding the gin or something but it's just like no i i see these things that are hallucinations but then there's nothing about her relationship with the gin from the moment he arrives where she does she does none of the usual fantasy romantic fantasy things where at first it's like i don't believe in you oh none yeah of, that's true it. it's total except like oh okay that makes sense you're you're a gin you're here and now <laughs> we do the three wish bit but i'm not playing because uh, there's no shock there's no i can't believe my eyes there's none of that absolutely not so okay. that also was very confusing like i i where are we with the, the belief, the disbelief, the real, the not real. I don't know. And then there's the whole story thing, the whole preoccupation with story. The yeah. power of story is, is story so, does it have such incantory effects that it can, like an incantation, it can, it summons a, the gods, however you want to define them. Mm-hmm. It summons them and creates them. Is that what you're trying to get at? Well, we don't know. It's just, it's again, it's, as you say, it's all schmush. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's sort of referred to, but nothing nothing's done with it and also like uh, again referring to the now of this uh, we got stories galore we're, we're drowning in fucking mm. narrative as we've discussed like so you know we don't really need to make a case for stories mm. and again i'm not blaming as by it for this i really think it's the film yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't know um there's something about putting this on screen and being like story is so important when <laughs> we're we've got like marvel this yeah. and marvel that which yeah. is nothing but fucking plot and multiverses everywhere mm. you turn like oh my god enough enough it makes me want to just like only watch antonioni (laughs) like i I hate i hate this it's Mm -hmm. so overwhelming it's garbage (laughs) well yeah especially because it because it's of course we're we're speaking as people who don't love this stuff we don't yeah for me it's like it's if it were memorable if it were emotionally moving and it would stick with me yeah. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, that great, you know, that great interlude where blah, blah, blah. It had this, it meant this. I felt this. But it, it's it's just the overwhelming stories thing that's just a giant flush. And then you get a, you, you onboard another story. Yeah. And there's just more and more of it. And you don't remember any of it. Like, I can't remember, you know, all the things you binge and you can't remember later. It's that oh, kind no. of thing. Yeah. yeah. So you're right. I think we are, we are, it is a very odd time for, to be putting in a plea for how vitally important story is and how it connects us because i'm not sure it's having that function at all totally yep i don't think it is (laughs) i think it's just it's distracting us is what it's doing yes yes exactly (laughs) yeah so i think we thoroughly reject and hate this film yeah (laughs) and it deserves fingers yeah (laughs) double middle fingers exactly (laughs) and i i have nothing else i think i'm exhausted how about you Let's end this. Let's end this whole distasteful experience. And that is it for our episode. 3,000 years of logging for this film to end. Thanks, dear listeners. And of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in narratology conference funding. Ooh, getting pretty fancy there. If you're not a subscriber, oh, uh, if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like to hear, please consider signing up for Patreon for all this film stuff. Yeah, film suck content that just half. Um, you can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more fabulous film talk on Film Suck. Until then, thank you all for listening. Bye. Bye.